and welcome to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. My name is Jim Dwyer, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, your weekly current events, politics, media analysis, news program here on WCBN. Dick Whaley is away again for a brief trip out east to uh, manage some family concerns, and I'll be doing the program solo. He will be back next week, and uh, we will continue as the duo that have been the hosts of Gray Matters for uh, a couple of years now. Well, uh, the ongoing saga that is the Trump administration continues to spin like the out-of-control, squeaky carousel that it is, with no shortage of bumps and hiccups along the way. Of course, the big story of today is twofold, uh, primarily uh, involving uh, Rod Rosenstein and a story that appeared in the New York Times on Saturday's edition, and a brief visit to the White House on his behalf this morning, uh, which I'll talk about in a little bit. And, of course, the ongoing uh, car crash that is the uh, Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation hearings. And he'll be appearing, I think, on uh, GOP State TV tonight, also known as the Fox News Network, in an interview, which is one of a number of PR maneuvers uh, being foisted upon the American people who really don't have a a vote in the matter on uh, a Supreme Court nominee. I mean, outside of the fact that they, of course, vote for the Senate uh, when those candidates come up for reelection. But it's unusual in my mind to see these ads on TV from this judicial crisis network that are essentially advocacy ads, political campaign ads for a Supreme Court justice nominee as though we, the American people, did have a vote on the matter. Well, and as far as the vote on the matter goes, I guess I can understand at least partially why these advertisements and why this uh, interview on Fox tonight are things uh, seen as important strategically for the Republicans uh, at this stage of the game with this nomination. Because according to uh, survey after survey, this is a very unpopular candidate for the Supreme Court. Uh, And again, that's not really something that matters ultimately to whether or not he gets voted onto the court or not. But I think it does come into play as a political cost uh, potentially down the line for those who oppose or do not oppose, depending on their party's position, this particular candidate. And what's interesting about these polls and surveys is that as the days and weeks go by of the last three and four weeks, particularly, he's gotten less popular. Um, Once the uh, accusation or allegation uh, put forward by Professor Blasey Ford, uh, his you know, popularity took a hit. And today, of course, the other part of the big story today, beside the Rod Rosenstein saga, is, oh dear, now there's a second accuser, uh, this time from Yale University. It's something of a much more complicated 
uh, allegation scenario that uh, I'm not really even going to talk about that one at all, other than just mention that it's occurred. And um, we'll see how the facts emerge from that. But uh, what a strange position, uh, a nomination that looks to be a sure thing slam dunk a couple of weeks ago turns out to be. And how funny that the Republican Party, who were so casual about, well, you know, it doesn't say anywhere in the Constitution that we need nine justices, will wait. And uh, we're not even going to hear uh, or, or, or allow... Uh, Supreme Court nominee uh, Merrick Garland a hearing because we want to wait. We're going to wait several months. In fact, we're going to wait a year until the American people can chime in in the 2016 presidential elections, and that will determine uh, who fills the next Supreme Court opening, which was, of course, Scalia's seat, which was then handed off to Neil Gorsuch uh, as one of uh, Trump's first and only, I think... <laughs> Uh, in all honesty, uh, genuine accomplishments uh, to the extent to which he can be given any credit at all for that process other than just, boom, stamping it. Yes, it's a done deal. So uh, this rush, this mad hurry to confirm Brett Kavanaugh is just as political as the negative uh, aspersions that uh, Mitch McConnell stood up on the Senate floor today and denounced these uh, claims, uh, both by uh, Professor uh, Blasey Ford and this new accusation from a former uh, stu uh, fellow student at Yale as smears, <clears throat> baseless. Uh, well, if you wanted to get to the bottom of it, you'd have the FBI investigate it. That is what the I in FBI stands for. But no, we're in a hurry here, uh, which is not political. Uh, and it's unfortunate that the minority party is making a big political stink out of this. Well, that's the pot calling the kettle black as far as playing the politics of the scenario. One would think that given what the Supreme Court is supposed to be, that you'd want to know all there is to know and that getting it right, that is getting it correct, would be more important than making sure that your own party's ends were met or that the base were placated. Uh, and I'll have something to say a little bit later about the evangelical support for this candidate. So we'll see what emerges uh, from the interview on Fox TV tonight. I suspect not much. Uh, but uh, this Thursday is certainly uh, looking to be uh, kind of probably a high rating day for TV. I imagine a bunch of people are going to want to see uh, because this is where it's going to play out. Uh, we can't go back in time. There were, according to the uh, allegations, only three people in that room. Uh, and so we have to rely on the testimony of the principals involved, although we will not hear from the third person. He will not be subpoenaed. Uh, too bad, because his book uh, openly speaks of, oh, yes, we were blackout drinkers. We were crazy, wild and crazy guys back in our youthful heyday. 
Um, and, you know, lots of people were crazy partiers or whatever when they were young, but uh, most of them didn't assault anybody. So um, that seems to be a an element that uh, we don't want to hear that. We don't want to hear that. We'll just hear from the two principals involved. And so, therefore, uh, a performance uh, attitude, demeanor, uh, facial expressions, gesture, tone. This is a high-stakes game now suddenly for uh, Brett Kavanaugh, who is going to have the opportunity to rebut. I believe they're going to speak separately. They will not be in the room while each other is testifying. And that... Uh, Professor Blassie Ford will speak first. Uh, and of course, whether or not the Republicans are going to uh, question her themselves, they are all men, old white men, as it just so happens, uh, two of whom are so old that it seems like, are they really functioning at peak optimum efficiency as high ranking legislators at this late stage in their career as a human body? I'm speaking of Chuck Grassley and uh, Orrin Hatch, both of whom uh, had clumsy, awkward and embarrassing parts to play in the Anita Hill testimonies of 27 years ago. Or will the Republicans uh, be allowed to sort of place a, a spokesperson, a sort of an interlocutor there, a woman uh, who can ask the questions for them, although I'm not sure how this has been resolved. Uh, Professor Blassie Ford has said, no, no, I don't I don't want that. I want to answer uh, senators uh, direct questions. Uh, of course, there's an optics game uh, playing out there. Um, watching the rebroadcasts last week of, you know, highlights or perhaps we should say lowlights from the Anita Hill uh, testimonies before the Senate Judiciary Committee back in the 90s <clears throat> were painful, it, worse than I had remembered them to be. Of course, you know, we all paid attention back then, those of us who were around and paying attention to such things. And with the passage of time, those have gotten more embarrassing, more awkward, more painful. And so Thursday is going to be a big day for uh, events and developments in Washington, not least of all because of this uh, performance uh, testimony hearing. And it's not a trial. It's important to remember it's not a trial, although it is being spoken of in uh, those terms. It's basically a job interview, a special kind of a job interview where character really matters. And um, one would think that that would be the most important thing rather than an ideological roadblock uh, long-term strategy game. <clears throat> but uh, we'll just have to wait and see. The other uh, interesting development, of course, on Thursday is going to be the eventual chat proper between uh, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein and the president, who was unable to speak with him today, although they did discuss uh, the article from Saturday's New York Times on the phone. Apparently, uh, Trump is in New York um, appearing at the United Nations where there was a little bit of noise about uh, attempted movements forward on the Korean Peninsula. Um, not really much to talk about there. Um, perhaps in another week or two, we'll revisit that 
scenario. But um, regarding the article itself, which appeared in, as I say, Saturday's New York Times by Adam Goldman and Michael Schmidt, Justice Department number two floated proposal to record Trump. This article is, I think, being blown out of proportion. And I really wonder whose interests its publication even serves. And the reason I say that is because it's such an old story. Uh, it's something that happened in the earliest stages of the Trump presidency. It has to do with Rosenstein's insecurity in his position at that time, having sort of been pressed ganged by Trump to uh, sign on to the Comey firing. And then all of a sudden find himself, oh, uh, Sessions recuses. Oops, I'm now the top guy involving this investigation. <clears throat> and the, you know, we're used to it a little bit now. Uh, but in the early months of the Trump presidency, the shocking disregard for norms, protocols, uh, procedures, and, and even his uh, clear... <laughs> Uh, embodiment of somebody who neither knows nor understands nor cares much about how any of American governance works. Uh, it's easy to see why Rod Rosenstein was nervous, confused, and a little rattled about what am I expected to do here? Uh, am I going to be, you know, in the middle of this story? Uh, well, he sure is and he sure was. Uh, but this idea that he had floated the idea of secretly recording the president or that, uh, boy, we got to talk about the 25th uh, Amendment right away. I think, uh, first of all, that happened a year and a half ago. And so obviously he settled into the job. Uh, Trump calmed down and has talked a lot about firing Rod Rosenstein. But there's no way that Rod Rosenstein was going to wear a wire into the White House and talk to anybody, uh, that's ridiculous. Now, I think that this was sarcasm or gallows humor or some kind of a joke. Sarcasm, of course, almost impossible to detect in print. You you hear it in the way words are said, in the context in which they're delivered. Um, and that's why satire is sometimes goes over people's heads, is they if they're reading it, they don't hear the, uh, 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 some joke in there. Oh, yeah, boy, maybe I should wear a wire next time. <laughs> well, no, we'd never do that. But you'd say that as a joke. Um, now, is Rosenstein going to get fired over this? Uh, is he going to quit over this? Well, I doubt he's going to quit. First of all, why should he? Uh, in fact, I would say that he won today's game of chicken by not only speaking to the president about those articles, but actually going to the White House, meeting with John Kelly, and they were careful to show on television John Kelly coming outside to shake hands with Rosenstein. So oh, we're all friends here. Uh, see you later. <clears throat> that uh, I think Rosenstein has sort of called the bluff of this opportunity to fire uh, Rosenstein that the article over the weekend gave Trump the opportunity to do. Now, is Rosenstein going to get fired? Well, you never know. I think Sessions is probably doomed after the midterms. Uh, it's pointless to speculate on that. Um, I'm not sure how we'll all look at the Sessions legacy uh, as attorney general in, in general. 
But I think regarding the recusal of himself from the Russia investigation, I think that's the smartest thing he ever did and probably the most accurate and correct thing he did as attorney general. I don't think Rosenstein is going to get quit uh, to get fired, excuse me, uh, largely because of the performance of some of the individuals on Fox News, like Sean Hannity, who last Friday night uh, leaned into the camera and said lovingly to his audience of one, I've got advice for the president. You better not fire him because this is a trap. This is a setup. And uh, so as long as he's getting that sort of advice from uh, Hannity and Fox and friends, it's a trap, as the fish-headed admiral on Star Wars uh, famously said, uh, that he's not going to do it. He's going to see it as a trap. And it's not really going to accomplish what he thinks it would accomplish anyway. It would uh, raise new stink clouds and uh, new levels of anxiety. So I don't think Rod Rosenstein is going anywhere, and I think this story is a little overblown. I even think the fact that he's going to sit down and meet with Trump to sort of iron out their difficulties over this matter, uh, being scheduled for Thursday, is using the Rod Rosenstein scandal to sort of deflate the anxiety over the Kavanaugh nomination, which is also scheduled for Thursday. So we're set up for this, oh, Monday, the big story is these two things, uh, one of which we can pretend to control, the other of which we don't really know how it's going to shake out. So let's get the replay of both on Thursday and hope for the best. Well, that's all we can do is wait till Thursday. As far as hoping for the best is concerned, well, I guess that just depends on what you happen to think the best thing to be would be. Uh, regarding other events and developments of the week, uh, sort of a brief little ha-ha moment uh, regarding a softball opportunity to uh, slam dunk an attempted criticism that was so funny, I, I have to bring it to your attention. Maybe you heard about this. It's a sort of a minor thing, but it's the sort of thing that you know, we have to find amusement where we can. The uh, progressive, uh, self-defined uh, uh, Democratic Socialist candidate, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, did a sort of a charity uh, photo shoot thing for a fashion magazine, and she was pounced upon by uh, Fox News critics and uh, a right-wing activist named Charlie Kirk who tweeted angrily that she pretends to be a champion of the people and believes the unemployment went down because uh, people were taking two jobs. She just posed in a photo shoot with a $3,500 outfit and $600 shoes, all while saying the rich have too much power. And everybody on Fox News went, oh, she's a fraud. She's a hypocrite. But uh, her response is pretty amusing. And she responded on Twitter, which I have to confess is a medium I detest. And really, that, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, but her response is very apt. She says, A, the alt-right doesn't seem to understand the concept of magazine shoots. B, you don't get to keep the clothes. Duh. C, I don't pretend to fight for a living wage in Medicare for all. I do it. And D, get used to me slaying Luke's L-E-W-K-S, that's obviously some Twitter code, 
because I am an excellent thrift shopper. And she does indeed, as the article uh, which describes this by Gina Belafonte, uh, she campaigns in her own wardrobes. Um, no, you don't get to keep the clothes from the fashion shoot. Um, also, last week I mentioned that uh, Mueller's uh, team, uh, both the prosecutors and the defense attorneys for Michael Flynn, had asked for a sentencing date, and that uh, request was granted. I mistakenly spoke that it would happen uh, imminently within a week or two, but that um, sentencing date that has been requested is actually for November 28th. So that is in the pipeline, and the fact that this announcement comes after Paul Manafort's announced flip that for consideration of uh, crimes which he's already been successfully uh, prosecuted for um, and a pending uh, case in Washington, D.C. on related matters uh, being dropped altogether, uh, that this is very interesting that only after the Manafort flip do we get this announcement on Flynn. Um and I suspect it might be because Manafort's info is going to turn out to be more useful than Flynn's uh, for whatever angle uh, Robert Mueller has penciled him in for. Another sort of bizarre story uh, from last week that because of all this other chaos and craziness didn't get much attention is that the White House is now announcing uh, they want to continue to lower the cap on uh, legal immigration of refugees, and they want to lower it to 30,000, which is a record low for at least the past few decades or so. Um, this is not a done deal. This is something that's being slated for next year. And so pending the consequences and outcomes of the midterm elections, this may not, in fact, happen at all. Um, but uh, it, worth mentioning that Stephen Miller, uh, the hooded one, pushed for a cap of even lower at 25,000. Um, now, this isn't a first in American history that a sort of right-wing political agenda has attempted to limit this country's open-armed embrace of uh, political refugees. Uh, it has happened before in American history, and I want to read you a brief passage from a book by Richard Polenberg called One Nation Divisible class, race, and ethnicity in the United States since 1938. It's a Penguin book, and I, as soon as I read this article, I remembered this interesting incident. Now, I'm going to leave uh, an adjectival descriptor out here simply so I can compare, uh, compare this scenario from 1939 to uh, attitudes today. So uh, on page 41 of Pollenberg's book on the chapter, The Eve of War, this is 1939. This is the eve of World War II. Afterwards, more refugees sought to enter the United States than the combined annual immigration quotas for Germany and Austria of 27,000 could accommodate. A measure was therefore introduced in February 1939 that would have allowed 20,000 additional children under the age of 14 to enter the United States over a two-year period. The bill ran at once into a stone wall of opposition. Critics maintained that the 20,000 children would form an opening wedge for thousands more. Remember, this is 1939. 
polls indicated that two-thirds of the American people opposed the measure. In fact, spokesmen uh, for this ethnic group were themselves divided with some uh, fearful that a sudden influx of immigrants would inflame hateful sentiment, racist sentiment. And again, I'm omitting some words here for contextual purposes. Under these circumstances, President Roosevelt remained aloof, penciling file, comma, no action on a letter from a congressman requesting his opinion. The bill was so emasculated in committee that its sponsors decided against bringing it to a vote. The wife of the U.S. Commissioner of Immigration captured the prevailing mood. The trouble with the measure, she remarked casually at a cocktail party, was that, quote, 20,000 children would all too soon grow up into 20,000 ugly adults. Who were these refugees, these 20,000 children, 14 or under? Why, they were German and Austrian Jews attempting to flee post-Kristallnacht Nazi Germany. What happened to these children who were not allowed to leave Europe because of racially defined quotas? We don't know, but I can only assume that it wasn't good. Now, are those deaths potentially in concentration camps on the hands of American politicians unwilling to recognize the severe plight of that kind of organized genocide? And how is this any different from refugees trying to uh, keep their children alive in Syria? You know, the ethnicity and the religion's different situation and the consequences are precisely the same. So yet another reason besides the Supreme Court, besides uh, potential court appointments uh, in general, why these midterm uh, elections are looming to be amongst the most consequential, certainly, of anyone living today's lifetime, uh, I think is hard to argue otherwise. Well, I'm not going to have time to get into many of the details today, but I will mention that in upcoming shows, we will be talking a little bit about Colombia, where apparently there are signs of a peace that has been negotiated somewhat uneasily for the last two years between uh, a rebel movement and a often military uh, regime-style government uh, in a civil war, in essence, that... that rambled on for nearly 50 years of death and destability, um, that the peace in Colombia may be beginning to unravel. Uh, and this is significant, uh, not just because it's in our hemisphere, but because Colombia is a major recipient of U.S. military aid. Millions and millions of dollars a year go into this country, and so peace there is in U.S. taxpayers' best interests. And uh, so we'll hopefully have some time in future programs to talk a little bit more about that. Rapidly running out of time here on Gray Matters for today. And uh, again, I want to remind you that Yazoo City Calling will be coming up next, a fine program of early and acoustic blues hosted by blues scholar and uh, excellent musician himself, Jerry Mack. And he'll be here in just a few minutes to settle down uh, your worried uh, mind with some uh, down-home blues, talk about coping with weird situations and unpleasant anxieties. That's partly what the blues is all about.
Well, I want to end on two notes. Uh, We'll save the light note for last, but on the sort of intriguing and exciting note, there was a letter to the editor in Wednesday's New York Times by a guy named Michael Stern, a federal prosecutor with the Justice Department, who writes intriguingly about the plea deal that Manafort has achieved. Uh, He writes as someone with 25 years of uh, federal prosecutorial experience. He's cut hundreds of cooperating deals, and he talks first about how the fact that Manafort was accused of witness tampering, and secondly, that uh, the trial, the second trial against him was seen as a slam dunk. So his letter to the editor has been entitled, Manafort must have something really good. And he writes this, before federal prosecutors offer a cooperation deal, they generally interview the defendant to get a preview of what he has to offer to assist in the prosecution of other criminals sort of like a coming attraction. Prosecutors are like skeptical moviegoers who do not want to buy a ticket unless they know the movie will be worth the while, worth the money. Until new indictments are released or court filings offer a clue or Mr. Manafort testifies at a public proceeding, we will not know the exact shape of his cooperation. But whatever Paul Manafort has offered the special counsel in exchange for his cooperation deal, which is seen as being quite generous, it must be good. It must be really good. Well, I'm sure we're all waiting with bated breath to hear that, and I think it was partially because of this Manafort flip that the decision was made, I think we're done with Flynn, let's schedule a sentencing date for him. Uh, Bigger, more interesting fish to fry coming up down the line. Well, the lighter note that I wanted to end on is to simply tell you that tonight is the full moon and it's the harvest moon. It's famous in song and story. And uh, two of my all-time great heroes, uh, both as artists, human beings, and I call them uh, poets of the soul. Here are Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy with their take on Shine On Harvest Moon. And stay tuned for... Yazoo City Calling, coming up next on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Shine on, shine on, harvest moon Up in the sky I had no loving since January, April, June or July Yeah. 